You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We've been in this series on the invisible war, and today we're going to continue talking about this aspect or this idea, or uh, kind of a mystery a bit for some, is uh, the, the armor of God. What does that really mean? What is that all about? Our theme passage is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is an unseen, invisible battle happening right now. Even in this very room, there is a battle taking place that you cannot see. It's a spiritual battle. Unseen, evil, spiritual forces are at work to derail your life. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race or people can fall about the devils or demons. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I agree with that. There tends to be one or the other. Either we obsess over, man, there's demons everywhere. It's everywhere. Turn the light on, you can chase away the devil, right? You know, there's like something shook or something moved, and it's like it's a demon, you know, or you have a struggle, it's a demon, or you think there's no such thing, or he has, he's not around at all, and you have little understanding of the unseen world. From the beginning to the closing of Scripture, the, the Bible describes the devil as someone who is very real and who is at war with humanity and who is at war with your family. The apostle Peter said this, he said, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be alert and sober-minded. That means be aware and be prepared. He says, for your enemy, the devil prowls around. That means he's sneaky and he's ready like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are to know his tactics and it's his schemes. And that's kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at who the devil is, who the enemy is, spiritual forces, good and evil, last week. And uh, knowing some of his schemes, some of his plans. So the acts of, of the devil or demonic activity kind of is wrapped up into two categories. There is, first of all, the extraordinary de- uh, demonic. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of demonic. The weird manifestations, uh, possessions. You know, you think of the movie The Exorcist and you're like, oh, she's floating and her head turns around. By the way, I've seen demonic possession and I've... Prayed for people and cast out devils. I've never seen someone turn their head 360. That is impossible and it doesn't happen. But there is demonic expressions and there is demonic possession and there is manifestations that are evil. And oftentimes that's what we think, oh, that's demonic. But there's also what I would call the ordinary demonic. And the ordinary demonic is basically daily activity that the enemy gives and and throws at us to deceive, distract, derail, and divide us. And we often ignore the invisible war he wages that is most often waged, and that is the ordinary. We, we tend to look for the, for the weird, the extravagant, the manifestations, the things that look like darkness. You know, we're like, oh, that's demonic. But yet he's derailing us, dividing us, discouraging us, and he is, is deceiving us through ordinary means. He's the deceiver. And he tricks us with false teaching, false religions, false hope, false security, false miracles, a false perception of what is good. By the way, sexual sin is his specialty. A false rage, a sense of hatred. He loves fear and he wants you to live in fear and anxiety, worry, depression, obsession, uh, and, and obsessing over death. That is just as demonic, all those things, just as demonic and and inspired by Satan as the extraordinary manifestations. Why manifest himself if he can just deceive us, distract us, or derail us? So what I want to do today is I want to talk about how to combat the enemy. We've been looking at his schemes the last couple of weeks and identifying who he is. So now let's talk about how we can fight him and and what that means biblically to do that. Ephesians 6 gives us the principles of this warfare And the first three are kind of like foundational. They're the three that we've been looking at. So let's hit those really quick. First of all, Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And this is the first thing you need to know to combat the enemy is you must be born again. You must be born again if you're going to combat the enemy. 
Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. That's John 3, 3. And then the disciple John and John 1 said, to all who receive Jesus Christ, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And then later on in 1 John, the same John writes, God's children do not practice or make it the practice of continual sinning. That means we will struggle, but we don't live a life of sin. He says instead, he says, God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. You see, you must become a child of God to inherit and to have the benefits of God on your side as, as one who fights for you. So if you think that you can combat the enemy and not be a son and daughter of God or not be born again, you are mistaken. It says right off the top, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It starts here. You become a child of God through faith in Jesus. Here's the second thing. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil one's schemes. And this is kind of where we were the last couple of weeks, and that is to combat the enemy. You must know who the enemy is. You need to know who that enemy is. It's not your neighbor. It's not that coworker. It's not your family member. The enemy is not a person. However, the enemy uses people as vehicles to get to you. But you need to realize that when the enemy uses someone to get to you, that person is still not the enemy. The enemy is an unseen spiritual force. As the great theologian G.I. Joe says, knowing is half the battle. You guys remember those G.I. Joe learning moments, <laughs> the cartoons? Your enemy is not that person. You need to know this. He goes on to say, Ephesians 6.12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms to combat the enemy. This is the third thing. And again, this is laying a foundation of what we've been talking about is you must recognize the battle. If you don't know your enemy, you're already defeated. And if you don't know you're in a battle, you've already lost. Open your eyes. There is a war happening now, and it's not in the Middle East, and it's not a cultural war. The war is a spiritual war. And if you don't realize this or recognize this, you've already lost. So therefore, with that information of there being an unseen war and knowing the enemy and knowing that, that, that you can only combat the enemy through your salvation in Christ, he says this, and this is where we're going to talk mostly today. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And here's number four, write this down. To combat the enemy, you must be familiar with your Weapons, you must be familiar with your weapons or tools of war. Your weapons, these are the tools of the authority of Christ. And I love this little, this little thing here about, about the armor of God. And we're going to get to this here in just a second. We have a unique set of tools because we fight a unique enemy. Listen, when we are at war, we are fighting. Are you ready? We're fighting angels. You're not fighting people. You're fighting angels, fallen angels. So if you're fighting a unique enemy, you need unique tools. If you're fighting a spiritual enemy, you need to have spiritual tools. These are the tools you need to fix whatever is broken in your life. He goes on to say in verse 13, he says, So you put on this armor so that when the day of evil comes, it's coming. And the devil does not quit. you got to give him that, right? Props to the devil, right? He doesn't quit like some of you all do, right? He actually doesn't give up on you. He doesn't, he doesn't take a break. He doesn't take a vacation. He just is out to kill, steal, and destroy you every day. That's what he does. So when he comes, and he's coming, are you going to be ready? He says, be ready. Have this armor of God on. So when he comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Some translations say, stand your ground again. In verse 14, three times, stand, stand, and stand. It doesn't say storm the gates of hell. It doesn't say put on the armor and run headfirst into the enemy's business. It doesn't say that. There is nothing that is on the offensive move in this armor we're about to find out. Now, there are things that do move you forward, but they're not things that are offensively attack weapons in the context of what it's given. 
no two words uh, are more important than what it says here in 14. Stand firm. Not attack the enemy. Not chase after the enemy. Just stand, stand, stand. We see, we want to fight. Particularly some of you men, man, we, we, we want to fight. Bring it on, devil. Let's go. Let's go. You know, God says, no, don't fight them. Just stand. Just stand your ground. Why in the world are we not supposed to fight him? Why are we supposed to just stand? Because it's very simple. Because Jesus has already won the battle on Calvary. He's already won. The battle has been finished and it is secured by his resurrection. The battle is already won. So we don't need to fight him. You don't need to fight the devil. The battle's already been won. You're in a battle to occupy the ground that has already been taken. You're the feet, you're the troops on the ground. You're the feet on the ground. It's like this it's like a football game. And it's 72 to 0 and three minutes left. If you're the winning team, if you've got 72 to 0 and it's three minutes left, you've won the game. There's nothing that can happen regardless. Man, they could take out the quarterback. They could score a few runs. They could, they could stop you in your tracks from scoring anymore. But it doesn't matter because you've won already. All you got to do is stand firm. All you got to do is stand in the fact that you have already won. So relax a little bit. You ever watch some of those games like the last minute? You know, there's not a prayer for that other team. And the other team's like sending like, like the worst players possible out on the field. And they're just kind of standing around. And then, you know, they need the ball. I'm like, come on. Play. Stand. You're going to win. Finish out the game. But this is what it is. No matter what happens, even if you think and it looks like you're losing, you're not because you've already won. Satan is working overtime to rob us of the spiritual tools and blessings that we already have. Did you know that you don't need to ask God to bless you? Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We already have that blessing. It's already yours. If you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing you need. You don't need to go and borrow money if you have a million dollars in the bank. But that is exactly what we do. We walk around like some hobos begging for a dollar when you are already credited by Jesus with all the riches of the heavenly. So stop buying the lie that you have to fight and that you have to get and you have to receive. You, if you are a child of God, you have every spiritual blessing. You have every tool at your disposal and you have already won. So just stand still, stand strong, stand firm. The enemy is lost. Because we don't understand our victory, we walk around as victims half the time. These weapons, these tools are, are yours to help you stand firm. So what are they? He says, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Ooh, that rhymes. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but that's a wrap right there. With the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you have or can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what's, I don't know about you, but the first time I ever learned about the armor of God was in Sunday school. And it was on a flannel graph. And you guys remember flannel graphs? So you're old enough. Now it's like videos and, and cool objects, you know, on the screen, but we had, before there was video projection, it was flannel with cut out flannel people on flannel. So it was flannel graphs, little piece, like paper dolls, basically. And I remember there was like this, this dude, right, in a tunic, and then you'd put like other little flannel graph paper pieces on top of him. Like he's got the shoes and he's got the belt and he's got the breath, the helmet and the sword. And maybe if it was a really cool teacher, he'd pull out the props, right? And he would say, he's got, you know, he's got the, the shield of faith. And you're like, oh, this is so cool. 
I walked in with these, these, this, with these uh, props today, and the kids were leaving me like, can I hold that? Can I play with that? And I'm like, after second service, you can see them. And uh, this is a really cool sword. I really like this one. It's so heavy, but it didn't look like this at all. <laughs> so I learned about that, and I, and I was taught, you know, you have to get up and literally, you know, I, I, I learned all, the, all those, those uh, the armor of God when I was a kid. So I, I would get up in the morning and put my shoes on, and I would say, you know, my feet are fitted with the, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I put my belt on. I got the belt of truth on and I put my shirt on. I got that breastplate. And I would walk out of my bedroom in this armor of God, right? Spiritual armor. And like that video, he took it literal. And, and it's a symbolic picture of something we already have. We're going to, now he was writing this letter from a Roman cell. And every night, he would be chained to a Roman soldier. During the day, he was able to, to stay in, a, in house arrest. It doesn't mean he lived in a house, but it means he was able to move freely around uh, his enclosed area. But at night, he was chained to a Roman soldier. So I can imagine as he's writing this, he might be glancing over at the soldier that he's chained up to every night. And he looks over there and he goes, ah, look at all this armor, this, 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 these clothes that he has on. He goes, man, there's a spiritual picture here. There's spiritual armor. And, and so he begins to write out the armor of God as he's looking over at this Roman soldier. And so we want to have a picture of what he might have seen at the time. And these are seven pieces, and there are seven ways the gospel of Jesus covers and fortifies you. These are pictures of God's victory already won for us as those who are in Christ, and we are to walk in them, and the enemy has no power over you when you do this. Now, the first three are ones that we wear all the time, and the second three are ones that we use as needed. So let's take a look at each one of them separately. And here's, if you want to know what today's sermon subtitle is called, Don't Fight Naked, all right? I think you would all agree it's not good to fight naked. Believers are already assigned and equipped this. If you join the military, you are assigned equipment. You are assigned gear, and that's yours. You are responsible for it, and and doesn't mean you're going to wear it every day. But you have it, and when you when the assignment comes up, you know where to find it. It's in your locker, or in your chest, or in your cabinet, or in your closet. You have gear that's assigned to you. When you become a child of God, you have this equipment. You have this gear assigned to you. It's given to you. Time to get it out of the closet. Time to get it out of that locker, and time to access and to use it. Here we go. The first one is the truth belt. Verse 14, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, some of you might go, why in the world would he put the belt first? Because in our life, I don't know about you, I kind of put my belt on last. Why would the belt be first in this armor? That's because the belt for them was not something to hold their pants up, but it was something that held up everything. It was all connected. It was a waist armor, and it hung down a little bit. And everything that they had connected to it, the breastplate that they put on after clipped onto it, the, the sword clipped onto it, their, their armor that they had uh, in other parts of the body would be, it's like Batman's utility belt. Everything revolved around the belt. It connected everything, and it gave him ability to be uh, mobile. It was ability and mobility. As long as he had his belt securely fashioned, he could run with all of his gear. As long as the belt was securely fashioned, he was prepared and could go anywhere knowing that his tools were always handy and his weapons were there. So right off the top, he says, put on that belt of truth, this is about ability and mobility. This is fundamental. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He says it starts with understanding who Jesus is. He is the standard. And everything is held up by the knowledge of who Jesus is in your life. Gird yourself with Jesus. His truth, his perspective, his word. Jesus holds it all together. So you need to ask yourself, is Jesus your identity? Is Jesus at the core and the center of your life? Do you care more about what others think or do you care more about what Jesus thinks? Is your view of sexuality, marriage, 
purpose, compassion, justice, generosity based on God's truth or on your opinion. Listen, Satan's first attack when he tried to tempt Jesus was questioning God's power and authority. Satan's first attack in the garden against Adam and Eve was very simple. It was, did God really say that? Did God really say that? That was the temptation in the garden. Do you believe that this is true? It all starts with this. Do you believe what Bible, what the Bible says? Do you believe what Jesus said? Are you going to live according to what this says in your life? It all, you got to gird yourself. Everything connects to what you believe about the truth of Jesus. And you need to ask yourself, not only is it true, but is it absolutely true with everything? And is it absolutely true for everyone? Because it is a standard that you must have supporting everything. You know, if the belt was to say anything, it would say, I'm wrong, God is right. <laughs> it would basically be, uh, you know, the, the Bible is right on everything, regardless of my feelings. Some of you are like, well, that's a very narrow way to think. That's a very narrow perspective to, to put God's word and Jesus at the center of everything. Well, truth is narrow. The Bible says in Matthew 7, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. So yes, it is narrow. It's a narrow view to believe that Jesus is the only hope, that Jesus is the only truth, that Jesus is the only way. And it's there that we must start our day. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. This is a daily event, daily. You've got to get to where no matter what, this Bible is right. No matter what culture says, no matter what popularity says, no matter what a celebrity says, no matter what you feel, the Bible is right. So do you know the word of God? This is not data. This is survival. Satan attacks his lies are foiled by the truth of Jesus. So get fitted with the belt of truth. This is what we wear every day. The next one is the righteousness breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness, verse 14. You know what a breastplate does? It protects my chest. It protects my vital organs. It protects my heart. It protects what's inside of me. This is a position piece. When you put this on, this is something that's already been given to you in Christ. And it says, I have the breastplate of righteousness to protect and remind me of what is inside and to guard and protect with what God says about me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus took our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Your righteousness is not based upon your actions or your activities. It's not based upon your church attendance or even your baptism. It's based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is your righteousness. And we stand in that righteousness and it protects everything that I have inside of me. We are, and by the way, we are covered in Christ's righteousness, purchased by the blood. So guess what's on that, that breastplate? It's covered in blood. That breastplate that we wear is a blood-stained covering that is all over us. See, the enemy will try to come at you and, and, and try to tell you things about yourself. That sin that you struggle with will try to tell you that you're not a Christian. That weakness that you are, are trying to battle and fight is you'll, you'll give in to sometimes and, and you'll think, well, man, I'm not a son or a daughter of God. And that past will creep up on you and it'll say, you're the past, you're not the future, you're not who you are. You've done too many terrible things or that formal relationship that you blew it in or that they hurt you in and, you're, and it is defining you and, and, and you're identifying yourself with this pain. You know, listen, get, look at the, get in the mirror, look at the blood. Look at the blood all over you. You're covered by the blood of Jesus and you are made righteous not by your actions, not by your perfection of how you can live, but this is a position piece. You are made righteous because of what he did. And this righteousness that we wear, this breastplate, is a reminder that says, stop, devil. Stop accusing me. Stop 
coming at me with these lies, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And I may not be perfect, but I am a son and a daughter of God through the blood, through my faith in Christ. Devil, I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am set free, for I am righteous in Christ. This is something you got to wear every day. Here's the next one. It's the gospel shoes. I like this one. The gospel shoes. 15 says, my feet are fitted with the readiness of the preparation, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Let me tell you a little bit about the Roman cleats. Uh, The Roman sandals actually had ancient cleats. This is a pair of what they look like. And and, uh, they actually had little, little divots and spikes on them depending on on, a, on the, the style, but they all had cleats on the bottom. The Romans invented the cleats. It was not Nike. And these cleats were defined and given for sure-footedness, all right? They were so that you could stand your ground, and not only is footwear designed to keep you firm, but also to keep you moving forward. See, the gospel will take you places, The gospel will take you to places you never imagined and give you the strength to stand firm against the enemy as you plant your feet into the ground. He says, get those cleats on. Get your feet in those shoes. He says, Jesus is going to take you places. So this is saying two things. First of all, it's saying that when you walk through the valley, when you walk through those tough times, and when you're walking through that pain, wherever you walk, You will have sure footing. So get those shoes on. God will keep you secure. The storm is bad, but the ship is seaworthy. And the captain's saying, go to bed because I'm staying up. I love that. What are you worried about? You might think, man, the storm looks bad. Man, everything around me is falling apart. But you're in the ship of Jesus. And the captain, he said, hey, I got this. Go to bed. Just go to sleep. Rest easy because I'm staying up all night. Go to bed. This is, this is that, that sure-footedness that we get, that peace. See, where our feet are shod with the preparation, they're sure-footed with the gospel of peace. He is our peace. Also, it says this, not only is it to keep you secure, but also to keep you moving. When I pray this part of the, of the armor of God, I pray Jesus, my feet are ready to go wherever you lead me to give hope and peace. I don't need to be afraid. So not only do I have peace wherever I go, but I have that prayer of God, wherever you will send me, I will give and share that gospel of peace. Isaiah 52 and Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim salvation. You see, I don't know if you ever noticed, the first two letters of the word God are go. And the first three letters of the word Satan are sat. And God has called us to go. But the enemy will tell you to sit still. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything great. Don't take any godly risk. Don't sign up. Don't volunteer. Don't walk across the room. Don't ring your door, uh, your neighbor's doorbell. Don't. Just sit tight. Watch your Netflix. Don't do anything. And just do Zero. But I don't know about you. I put on my shoes and I think, man, Jesus, I'm ready to go wherever you send me, to talk to whoever you lead me. And God, I will speak these words of life and peace. Listen, there's a war going on, not only in your life, but in your friend's life and in your family's life and in your neighbor's life. And Jesus is telling you to go and bring that gospel of peace in the midst of their war. As the enemy seeks to disrupt and attack those around you, are you ready to respond with the peace of Jesus? I will go because my feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. I'll tell you what, when you say these kind of prayers, this is where walking with Jesus becomes an adventure. If you think living for Jesus is boring, you don't know Jesus. Or you're not following Jesus. Jesus, because he will take you into some pretty awesome, amazing, and exciting adventures. Here's the fourth part, the shield of faith. Now, the first three are things you wear. I showed up in them, so I don't need to have them with me. But the first, these next three are tools that you use as needed. They're external tools. 
uh, as, a, as opposed to something you wear on you. Verse 16, so take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the enemy. Satan's primary attacks are lies. His primary attacks are lies. And, and I love this shield concept because it's like every time, you know, the enemy says, you're worthless. Hey, I got you. You know, when the enemy says God's never going to use you or fulfill that promise, boom, boom, I got you, devil. Jump back. I got the shield of it. You may shoot your arrows of lies at me and try to tell me I'm something I'm not. But boom, man, I got the shield of faith. I got this shield of faith. What is it saying, the shield of faith? See, Satan is going to attack you. And, and what, these, what the faith would do is this is your declaration of who you are in Christ. Again, these are all weapons you received at the moment you were, gave your life to Christ. You were assigned these tools. And see, when the enemy tries to lie to you, say, let your faith be stronger. Let your hope in Christ be secure. And as the enemy tries to lie to you about your family, devil, you are a liar. You will not steal my family. You will not take my children. You will not take my life. My life is secure. Enemy, stop talking to me about my wife. I am protected by my faith in Jesus, not my faith in me or positive thinking, my faith in Jesus. Now, the Roman soldiers didn't look like this cool little shield right here. I like this shield. I think it's cool looking. He said the, the Roman soldiers, the Bible says, were actually these large shields that looked like this. And they were able to make these like human pyramids almost. They could create massive, you think thousands and thousands of human soldiers, right? With shields like this, they were able to create these massive barriers, these walls everywhere. And what these walls did, they created like this the, a giant barrier. They were linked together, body to body. Listen, we are meant to link together. Our faith is made stronger together. And I'm seeing as Paul was sitting there and he looks at the shield and he's like, yeah, that's how they, that big thing right there, they, they link together. They become one giant massive force of faith. And I think, man, Paul's like, I got to write that down. He says, take up that shield of faith, y'all. You know the ones that the Romans have? We need each other. We're stronger together. You know, when you can learn to get yourself into the body of Christ, into a small group, into a community, you're going to be stronger than you are alone. Many of you try to, to live out your walk with Jesus all by yourself, and you can't ever seem to get out of the holes that you're in all the time. You feel like you're constantly attacked. Paul's like, hey, the shield of faith is designed to be connected to other people. Body to body, 42 verses talk about the one another's in the Bible. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, laugh with one another, weep with one another. 42 different one another's. They all have one thing in common, one another. <laughs> they require another. And this is what he's saying. You need us. We need you. We need each other. We are a team. We're building our faith together, sharpening each other. This faith, this armor, this fight is not meant to be fought alone. Take up that shield. Connect with your friend. Connect with that coworker who's a Christian. Connect with that kid at school who's a believer. Plug into your church and let's stand against the attacks of the enemy. Here's the next one. The helmet of salvation. I particularly like this one because I think... I think helmets are cool. This is cool. I was debating on whether I was, yeah. Let me, let me put it on a little bit. Let's see. If it interferes with the microphone. How's it look, y'all? I may not wear it for the second service. In fact, here we go. Put the glasses on even, yo. It's not going to work. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is a, like a Troy, a, soul, a helmet of, from Troy. All right. It's hard to take me serious, I'm sure, when I'm wearing this, but uh, give it a shot. All right. The next one is the helmet of salvation. The spiritual battle is often fought in the mind. This is where the battle is fought most of the time. How is it fought in the mind? As we play over and over and ponder the arrows of the enemy. The shield of faith comes up to 
to distinguish and extinguish those, those arrows. But then all of a sudden, we leave church and we start thinking, well, well maybe, maybe I am nothing. Maybe my sin is too far gone. Maybe I'll never you know, get over this habit, or maybe God isn't there. Maybe this is all, you know, all of a sudden the battle starts raging in your mind and in your thoughts as you ponder the enemy's thoughts. Listen, if you get in the head, it's over. Even zombies know that, right? It's like, you got to protect the head. You got to protect the head. The helmet protects the mind. And what is the helmet of? It is a helmet of salvation. You know what this is about? This is about putting on the perspective of Christ over your circumstances. This is about recognizing that who Jesus has made you to be is greater than the perspective of what you're in. This is about Jesus' idea of who you are, what, it, what goes on in your mind is greater than what the circumstances and the stress and the worry and the depression and the anxiety that you live in is over. See, a lot of us, we have like this, a poor me Christian mentality. How you doing? Oh, man, just, it's tough, man. The devil's got me on the run, you know. See, like, some of you, like, every time I talk to you, it's like you're beat. No offense. When you have a hard day, I want you to be honest with me. We should be transparent, not fake and phony. But how is it that every single time you get with other people, you're just down? You're just in a negative mood. Listen, man, get that helmet on. Get your head right. Get your mind on who Jesus says that you are and what he's done for you. Put on your helmet. This is what 2 Corinthians says, verse 10, starting with verse 3. It says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now listen, he says there's a spiritual war. And now listen to what he says. Here's where the war is often fought. He says, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought that, to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, man, there's a war going on in your head. It could be perception of self. It could be lust. It could be uh, sin, temptation, and, and you're struggling and you're, you're wondering, God, are you there? Get your helmet on, man. Get your head straight. Take those thoughts captive, it says. There is a war out there, and it's going on. You need to demolish those arguments that the enemy has in your head. Those lies of the enemy are lies, just that. He says, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Tell yourself, I'm not going to believe that. Man, the word of God says this. My salvation, because of who I am in Christ, says this. See, the helmet absorbs the blow. I get hit, but I know who I am. Boom, I know who I am. You can hit me up. It may give me a headache, but I'm alive. When the enemy attacks my mind, I say, through Jesus, I have salvation. And because I have salvation, I am born with purpose, and I am chosen, and I am redeemed, and I am forgiven, and I am a child of God, and I am designed with purpose, and I have accepted Christ, and because of that, I am accepted by Christ, and I am the righteousness of Christ, and I am an heir. I am not poor. I am empowered. That's Ephesians 1, 2, 3 all over again. He says, because of my salvation, I know who I am. If you get in the head, it's over. Protect your head. Get your head straight. Get your helmet on. Here's the last, uh, second to last one is the sword of the spirit. Now, I've always liked this shield because, what, yeah. All right, the, the, this comes out. Now, this was probably, this prop here was probably more like what they had. It might have been like one of these because their swords were, were about this length. And they were more like a little bit longer than a dagger. And they would attach them to their belt. And these swords were an important part of the armor. Look at this verse 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He says straight up, man, this is God's word. Remember, the belt of truth is the truth of who Jesus is based upon what Jesus says, God's word. The first piece and the last piece 
It's all sandwiched by God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That means it cuts both ways. It's not, it is a completely versatile tool. See, your ability, listen to this, Christian, your ability to overcome Satan is directly related to your use of God's word. See, some of you, you walk around with a sword, but you don't ever use it. Man, you got the sword app on your phone, but you never read it. You have one in your pocket. You never look at it. You sleep with one next to your bed, but you never use it. Maybe some of you even display a sword on a table in your home, but you never read it. Listen, Christian, you need to know his word and master this the best you can, the best you are able to. Your ability to do this is directly related to your ability to overcome the enemy in your life. Jesus responded to Satan when he was tempted by Satan. Each time he's like, um, hey, listen, devil, have you read this? Right? And the enemy comes at him again and says, tries to tempt him with evil. And Jesus is like, oh, did you know? Right? Jab. And then finally he says, you know what? I'm going to make you great. You know, and Jesus is like, <laughs> you know, it's written. You know, takes him out, cuts him right in half because he knew how to use it. And this is the challenge that God has for us. Listen, your kid's ability to overcome Satan is directly related to their understanding and use of God's word. Not their knowledge of sports, not their GPA or their money skills. These can be helpful in life, but only God's word can save their soul for eternity and combat the enemy in their life. You need to know it. You need to hear it. You need to learn it. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. You need to use that sword. And you need to use it with love. And you need to use it caringly. You need to use it skillfully. You need to use it like a surgeon, not a barbarian. Some of you guys are like, ah, oh, culture. God's word says, like this. And, you know, no, man, this is... Stand your ground. The enemy's already lost. You don't need to go all crazy on people. The enemy is spiritual, not culture, not people, not your boss. Shoulder that weapon. Use it skillfully and carefully to defend and protect those that are unjustly attacked and abused. And use it to protect the flock and the sheep and your family. Know your weapon. I like how Tony Evans says, he says, what kind of Christian are you when it comes to God's word? He says there's three kinds. He says, are you a butterfly? You just bounce around the Bible, boom, boom, you know. You bounce around from church to church. You just kind of do your thing. Well, I, don't know. I don't have a reading schedule. I just let the Lord lead me, right. Boom. I just, man, this, let's see what it says. Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. I'm going to take that to work. That's good. See, that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how I read. That's dumb, by the way. That's really dumb. You could read things completely unhealthy and out of context that way. But some of you guys, you bounce. You're like a butterfly. You're just hitting here, hitting here. You're like, ah. You're just like kind of dopey. You're like. And then he says, or maybe you're like a botanist. Like you got your notepad out and you're just digging in. Uh, and it's all information. It's, you're learning a lot, but it's all info. You take notes and you got your journals, but then when you leave the woods, it's all back to normal. He says, or are you a bee? You dive in. You draw out what is sweet, and then you go make some honey, right? See, that's who God has called us to be. Stop being a butterfly, bouncing around in God's word. Stop being a botanist so much that it's just all information. But it's time to be the bee. Dive in, draw out the sweet stuff, and then you go make something great out of it, and you spread it to other people around you. So you've got to know that the Bible is always right. And it's got to be the authority in all the areas of your life. Are you ready to use the sword? Here's the last tool. This is what we're going to talk about next week. And that is Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always be, and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So weapon seven is 
is your words. It's your words. You know, one of the greatest tools of the Roman soldier was volume. Ah! You ever watch a movie and they're like, you know, for Aslan or whatever, you know, for, you know, they're like screaming for some like some soldier king and they're like, ah! Why are they screaming? Why are they yelling? Because there's intimidation in that, in that volume, in that unified sound. Listen, prayer is the voice. Listen, we're going to talk about this next week. The enemy, the devil, is not an equal to God. He is not omniscient. He doesn't read your mind. So listen, you need to start praying out loud. You need to get vocal with your prayer. All right? It's fine if you pray quietly and meditate. But listen, the enemy can't read your mind. You need to tell him to get lost. You need to speak verbally into that situation, and you need to speak God's word into your life, into your family, over your kids. Notice this is not just about preparing for your day. I begin, I begin my day every day in prayer, and then I feel great the rest of the day. Well, this is not about beginning your day in prayer. This is not about praying over meals. He says, but on all occasions. This is about developing a life of prayer. This is about being quick to pray whenever anything happens. When you say you're going to pray with somebody, here's what I like to do. When somebody says, will you pray for me? You know what I actually do? I pray right then, right on the moment. When I'm on the phone with somebody, when I'm talking to someone, when someone tells me, say, hey, I've got a situation, I usually say, well, let's pray right now, right? And let's take it to the enemy, and I'm not going to just put my hands on their shoulder and be all quiet. I'm going to speak audibly and build their faith through that prayer, and I'm telling the enemy to get lost. And I'm using this tool of the enemy, my uh, tool of God against the enemy, my voice. I want to end with something to think about. Matthew 12, verse 43 and 45, real quick. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Fallen spirits are in a constant state of unrest. He goes, then he sees, uh, then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of mind that it is worse than the first. This is spiritual attack. The enemy is having a party at your expense. He goes, so it will be with this wicked generation. Satan's playground, three places that you're at right now, uh, actually four places, but three you don't want to be, three areas where the enemy likes to play, demon-friendly environments. The first one is this, dry places. He says, man, he goes through dry places. Listen, if you're going through a dry season, if you're having a hard time hearing God, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're feeling hurt, if you are confused, if you're feeling alone, if you're having apathy, if you're feeling lazy, if you have a lack of motivation, you're not reading God's word, you're not praying, you're not serving in church. Listen, if you're drying up, you're an environment that the enemy likes and you our prime place for him to play. Here's the second one, empty places. He comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. See, this refers to both empty inside as a result of being dry, but primarily it refers to those who are not made new in Christ. See, you're either filled with the Holy Spirit or you are open to anything the enemy will come at you with. You'll either be led and influenced by the Spirit of God or you'll be led and influenced by some other spirit, if not the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus washes us clean and then he fills us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit possesses a Christian. I'm possessed. If you are a Christian, you are possessed. You become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. If you are not a Christian, you might be eventually possessed with something but not the Spirit of God. If your house is empty and swept, and it says in an order, listen, there are those that appears to be in order, but in reality, your life is a mess without Christ. A truly born-again person is filled with the Holy Spirit. The enemy cannot inhabit a true Christian life, but he will try to oppress and attack him. Here's the last one is the religious place. He says, then he, a fallen spirit, says, I'll return to my house from which I came. So shall it be also with the wicked generation. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. These were the religious people. Man, they knew the Bible. 
They knew prayers. They prayed every day and all day. They knew a lot about the scriptures. But they were not filled with the Holy Spirit and they denied and refused to allow Christ to come into their life and to change them. They were very religious. Some of you, it's the same thing. Man, you've experienced God. You know some Bible verses. You go to church on a regular basis. Man, maybe you got that touch at church. Maybe you got that touch at camp and you cried. Maybe you were set free. Maybe you were delivered and something left your life at that conference, at counseling. But listen, the place is still empty unless the Holy Spirit moves in. The place is still empty until you bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And you've never replaced your life with the Holy Spirit. And so though you're getting this like maybe here today, you're, like, Man, you're learning stuff and you're taking notes, but you're not born again. It has not translated into your life tomorrow. And therefore you are still empty and you are a religious person and you are a playground for the enemy. So stand firm, he says. Stand firm. Who are you? Are you a dry place right now? Are you an empty place? Or are you a religious place? Or you are the last one, or are you the filled one, filled with the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God in you causes the enemy to run? You've already been assigned. You've already been equipped. Unlock that locker. Blow off the dust. Get your armor on. The enemy will run. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us as we leave this room today and that we would, uh, God, understand the power of, of the armor of God as, as symbols of our victory in you. And, and Jesus, I pray that we would acknowledge these areas in our life. And God, but it begins with that first one, that you cannot combat the enemy if you're not born again. If you're here today and you are not born again, this is your moment. This is your time. This is the second. This is the minute right now. This is it. Uh, you have been, you've got the information. You're quite the religious person. Um, but it's now, it's time to say yes to Jesus. And, and I would like to give you that opportunity right where you're sitting, right where you are. Will you just take a moment just to talk to Jesus? Just say in your own words, say, Jesus, here's my life. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Tell him with your own words, thank you for the cross. God, I believe in the resurrection. You are alive. Come live in me. Go ahead, tell him, Jesus, come live in me. Fill me with your spirit, God, I pray. Teach me to walk after you, Jesus. I'm done trying. I'm done being dry and empty and religious. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.